Hey, good morning. I just love how like expressions of gratitude can begin to sort of slip into a competition, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm grateful for the sunshine. Well, I'm grateful for the rain. <laughs> I love that. Like, keep that up. Like, that to me is like, you know, that's like a safe, healthy, appropriate way to be competitive, right? It's like better than like, you know, beating each other up or something. Uh, well, if you're uh, here for the first time, my name is Jason Coker. I'm one of the co-ministers here along with Janelle. And then, of course, Joey and Alex are also ministers on staff here. Lately, we have been going through a teaching series that I am calling uh, Giving Up What or Giving Up uh, Toxic Jesus for Lent. And so for those of you who maybe weren't raised in a liturgical tradition like I was, this is uh, that time of year when Lent for Catholic or Anglican or Orthodox churches, uh, to some extent, Presbyterian and Lutheran churches, those churches that have these kind of traditional liturgies based on the calendar, this is the season, 40 days before Easter, when traditionally you give up something as an expression of preparing your heart for Easter. It's a way of sort of learning to become aware of the ways in which uh, Christ's coming and Christ's work on the cross is relevant to your life. Now, in this church, we are a part of a denomination that is a little bit traditional. You might, you know, uh, have noticed the stained glass and the fact that we take communion every week and the fact that we say the Lord's Prayer every week. But in other respects, we're a relatively, like, you know, informal church. So Lent might not mean much to a lot of you. Uh, And this time, what I decided to do for Lent was to talk about how maybe there was something that we could give up that was maybe more substantive than giving up meat for Lent or sugar or wine or whatever it might be. And my suggestion is that we take this time to reflect on how we can give up those images of Jesus that have become toxic, those sort of ways that we have idolized Jesus inappropriately. I don't mean the way that we have established Jesus as the center of our life. That's good and appropriate as Christians. I'm sure that's fine. Um, (laughs) But but, uh, the ways that we have made Jesus in our own image, the way that we've used our fears and our biases to make Jesus and God into something who looks more like us, And so this week, we get to talk about a a little heavier topic, even than the last two. We're going to talk about white Jesus today. Uh, I don't know if you've looked around, but this might be relevant to a few of us here in the congregation. I also, before we jump in, just want to acknowledge that this is a bit sensitive. For some folks, talking about race in any way creates sort of anxiety and discomfort Uh, And for a lot of folks, the idea of being the opposite of a racist means you just don't talk about uh, race, you don't talk about these issues, you pretend that they don't exist. And that's not my perspective. I think it's really important that we talk about this sort of thing. But I also understand that this can be very uncomfortable for lots of you. So I want to encourage you, and if you've been in this church for more than about two weeks, this won't surprise you, but I want to encourage you to maybe lean into that discomfort a little bit. Right? This is sort of the church that is uncomfortable uh, very often. So that's where we're going today. We're going to talk about uh, giving up white Jesus. Before we do, let's uh, just say a moment or uh, have a moment of prayer, if you don't mind. God, we thank you so much for today. We ask that as we continue to press into our time together in this space, as we 
sing songs and pray prayers and share gratitude and get to know each other a little bit better that we would take this time together around scripture and around the gospel to maybe pick apart some things about our culture that are complicated and painful and and confusing and harmful. We ask God that you would help invade our imaginations with a sense of how your gospel liberates us from uh, those entanglements in culture that can be harmful. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when Janelle and I first came here, it was November of 2015. This is, we actually visited here a little bit before that, uh, but I became the pastor here on November 1st, 2015. And uh, one of the fun things about this church was like you couldn't go into any room in this entire building. And there are a lot of rooms for those of you who haven't like poked around. You couldn't go into a room in this building without encountering a picture of white Jesus. Now, you guys know what picture I'm talking about. This picture is emblazoned on all of our minds. It's the stereotypical portrait of white Jesus. He looks like he is like fresh off of skiing at the Alps, right? <laughs> Only in a robe and long hair, right? Uh, he's got a Boda bag that had wa uh, water in it at the beginning of his ski run, but then it became wine. That's the Jesus that I'm talking about, right? And I used to joke that we have more white Jesuses per capita than any church in America because this was a church of about 30 people at the time, and we had like at least 50 pictures of white Jesus. And so I just, you know, initially went through and just took them off the wall, right? Like one by one, I began to collect them. And there's a room at the back here where I just, they just started to pile up. And, you know, like you did, I was so impressed by how many pictures of white Jesus we had. Like good pictures, bad pictures, like caricatures, you know, like every kind of white Jesus you can imagine. And I got this really great idea. I was going to pick a wall in the church and I was going to make a very like artistic collage of all of the white Jesus pictures, right? And I pitched this idea to Janelle and she was like, mm. <laughs> no. I was like, I was like, but it'd be so ironic. And she's like, we're a church of white people. There's nothing ironic about a wall of white Jesuses. Uh, I died a little death that day when I gave up that artistic image, but I think, I think Janelle was probably right. I want to share with you Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is a familiar passage. You've heard it many times before. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down and his disciples came to him, and he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is, of course, the Beatitudes. It is the opening of Jesus' most famous teaching. It is the heart, the center of everything Jesus taught. We believe wherever he went, he always began with this, the Beatitudes, the list of those who were blessed. And the most common way to teach this passage, I think the most natural way for us to read this passage is that Jesus is commending a list of spiritual virtues that we must attain to. And if we attain those virtues, 
then like, you know, uh, the next level in the video game of life will be unlocked and we will be showered with blessings. Therefore, if I can simply be poor in spirit, then the kingdom of heaven will be mine. If I can be meek, then I'll inherit the earth. That sounds great. If I can be merciful, then I'll receive mercy. This is a very common rendering of this passage. In fact, uh, Matthew Fox is very famous for writing a a book about this that's highly influential uh, from the mid part of the 20th century on. The problem is it's utterly wrong. Jesus is not giving us a list of virtues that we must attain in order for God to bless us. Jesus is actually the opposite. He is giving a list of curses. Conditions that nobody wants to inhabit. Nobody wants to be poor in spirit, to be poor in spirit, to be impoverished in your spirit, to have absolutely nothing left in your spiritual bank is a terrible condition. To be meek in a world that is ruled by power is the opposite of inheriting the world. To be merciful in a world that rewards the ruthless is to be rendered a second-class citizen. Jesus is not lifting up a series of spiritual virtues. He is pointing to the people who have gathered around him and said, Look, behold, believe it or not, I know it's difficult to believe, but the meek are blessed. The poor, there they are, are blessed. Those who are merciful are receiving mercy. Those who are persecuted are being uplifted. Jesus is doing what he often does. He is turning a normal way of understanding the world, a normal way of understanding religion, a kind of typical way of navigating the world, being in the world. He's turning it on its head. He's saying all those things that you normally do in order to be rich and powerful and successful and appreciated and respected and gain status, all of those things, like he says elsewhere, will get you those things and nothing more. If you want blessing, if you want the presence of God, if you want to be with God, I'll tell you a secret. God is with those who are cursed. God is with those who are poor, marginalized, unsuccessful. What does this have to do with whiteness? Well, this is what whiteness is all about. Obviously, when we make fun of the white Jesus pictures in the church, there is a kind of historical humor to that. We all know Jesus wasn't white. Jesus was a first century Palestinian. He was a Jew. He was a person of color. More than that, he was an outcast, somebody who had to flee from his own home for political reasons and later returned. Jesus clearly was not white in the sense that his skin was light-toned, but that's really not what whiteness is about. And this is where we struggle sometimes. We think that condemnations of whiteness or white supremacy in some way are a condemnation of our skin tone. But whiteness is more than skin color or skin tone. It is a socially engineered construct of power. It is the opposite of what Jesus is describing in the Beatitudes. 
Prejudice, bias, tribalism, these have always been with us. They are deeply ingrained in what it means for us to be human. But categorizing people by skin color in order to disempower and marginalize them, that is a relatively new human innovation. And it is baked deeply into American culture. Benjamin Franklin wrote this in 1751. Speaking of German people, when he wrote this, why should the Palatine Boers, that's Germans, apparently, why should the Palatine Boers be suffered to swarm into our settlements and by herding together establish their language, their manners, and the exclusion of ours? Why should Pennsylvania, founded by the English, become a colony of aliens? who will shortly be so numerous as to Germanize us instead of our anglifying them. And will never adopt our language or our customs any more than they can acquire our complexion. And then he launches into a rather impressive paragraph of hatred related to all people who have dark or tawny skin color and expresses his ultimate dream that uh, the English would cut down every tree in North America and establish this nation as a bright light that the gods would look down upon because it is so full of white people. I, I wish that I were exaggerating, but I, I, I didn't want to read the rest because I only have 16 minutes left. <laughs> The point here, of course, is that at one time, those who are of German descent were not considered white either. Those who were of Irish descent weren't considered white. Those who were of Polish descent weren't considered white. Those who were of Italian descent were not considered white. Whiteness is not about skin tone. Whiteness is about relegating groups of people to those who are less worthy, less advanced, less moral, less civilized, so that you can preserve power for those who are like you. In other words, whiteness is about erasing identity. It's about creating a construct that we all inhabit or are invited to inhabit as long as we're willing to leave behind those things that make us who we are. It's about adopting the norms of those who possess cultural power. Images of Jesus rendered as white are a subtle way of reinforcing that cultural norm. I love the way the theologian Willie James Jennings describes whiteness as this kind of cultural template of success in which we are all socially conditioned to aspire. He says that whiteness is the image of a white self-sufficient man who embodies three dismal virtues, possession, control, and mastery. And to speak of whiteness is to speak of a historical process of identity reconstruction. He says, whiteness, my friends, is not a phenotype. It is not our appearance or biology or culture, and it's certainly not a part of God's creation. Whiteness is a way of seeing the world and a way of being in the world at the same time. When we say a white, self-sufficient man, we're not talking about a particular person or a person of the past or the present, but an invitation offered to everyone, 
And that invitation, I will add, is offered to every one of us, every one of you. And that invitation is to be less black, to talk less black, to be less Mexican, to be less feminine, to be less queer, to let go of everything that God created you in all the goodness of your cultural and ethnic identity to be, and to simply subsume yourself into the image of power that conforms and appeals to others and their mastery over you. That's what we mean by whiteness. It's not about your skin color. Jesus confronts this notion of power and mastery of control, this idea of erasing our identities. He confronts this in the Beatitudes. He pronounces in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, the gospel when he says, this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what passage is that? What is Luke chapter 4? I know that you guys have heard it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. You're blessed. Release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The gospel is about liberating people from oppressive systems of power like whiteness or religion or competitive late-stage capitalism. The gospel is about liberating us from those systems that crush and oppress and try to normalize us for other people's gain. When Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman in John 4, he did not ask her to be less Samaritan or less woman. When he encountered the Roman centurion in Matthew 8, he did not ask him to be less Roman. When he encountered the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, he did not ask her to become Jewish. He listened to her. And he brought her the liberation that she required. Jesus doesn't ask you or anyone else to give up their identity. Jesus invites us to give up once and for all our quest for power over others. That's the invitation. To give up our power over others. Rejecting whiteness isn't about feeling guilty about the color of your skin. It's about being aware of how we are all, every one of us, shackled in bondage to a system of power that asks all of us, every one of us, to let go of who God created us to be in all our differences, in all our different cultural expressions, in all our different embodied, gendered, non-gendered, Sexual expressions, it is about being free to be who you are. And it's about a repenting of our complicity in those systems of power. And for some of us, we have benefited more from those systems of power than others. That's what we mean by white privilege. We don't mean that you are rich because you're white or powerful because you're white, or that everything in your life has gone so well because you're white. 
only that by adopting whiteness you have oftentimes unconsciously benefited from that system of power that asks everyone to give up who they are rather than give up the desire for control. It's about bringing the good news of the liberation of Jesus in the gospel to all people, starting with those who have been harmed by whiteness the most. It's hard. It's difficult. It's complex. It's painful because we're not all just victims of it. To a certain extent, we're all complicit in it. The Christian religious tradition has a wonderful word that encapsulates what this is. It's sin. And most religious traditions have pulled off the magic trick of making you think that sin is about your lustful thoughts or your addiction to cigarettes or some other issue of personal piety and morality when really sin in its most Jewish understanding is about dismantling these corrupt and harmful systems of power. And in order to do that, we often have to come to terms with our own personal complicity in those systems. But if our repentance is nothing more than giving up your favorite vice and believing that Jesus loves you more because of it, then we have missed the gospel entirely. We have a lot of work to do. Let's get to it. Amen? Amen. God, we thank you so much for today and for this opportunity for us to gather again and to read the words of Scripture to gather around the teachings of Jesus. And we we confess, God, that we often are frustrated and confused and discomforted by the way that your teaching calls us to repent of the things that we hold dear. It's especially hard, I think, God, when your teaching calls us to become aware of the unconscious ways that we have participated in harmful practices and harmful systems. And we can be defensive of that because these aren't necessarily intentional choices we've made. And often it's just a consequence of history that we were born into certain cultures or certain families or certain societies. But God, I I confess today that There are so many ways that I have bought into a culture of whiteness that normalizes certain cultural and ethnic expressions while marginalizing others. And I ask that you would help us to become more aware of that here and that you would really free us, liberate us from that defensiveness. Now we would be eager to bring good news of liberation. We would be eager to receive it. 
be eager to minister it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. I'm Alex. I'm one of the ministers here, and we've just got a couple quick things we want to let you know about ways to get involved. First is we have our community groups now launching. Yeah, let's get a round of applause for that. Uh, it's very exciting um, for anyone who feels like, man, these are some really deep topics that I wish I could talk to someone about more on just Sunday. This is a great place to do that. Uh, we have a meeting in homes, coffee shops, uh, all throughout the week, so really check that out on the website, scan the QR code. Uh, the next thing we wanna talk about is, as you can see, things are getting busier here, like Janelle mentioned with the kids. That also is true with the music team. That's also true with the slides team, the welcome team. So if you're someone who feels like, you know, I'd like to get involved a little more, I'd like to get to know people a little more, plug in, then this is a great way. We have the welcome team, the children's team, the music and slides team all looking for people. And generally, this is only just once a month, so it's not a huge commitment. We promise not to burn you out. We're very mindful of that. But in order not to burn our current volunteers out, we also need some more volunteers. So think about that, consider that. And lastly, as Janelle mentioned, if you're a parent, we have those little sign-up forms where you should um, tell us all about your, your kid, your child, so that we know what to do in case something comes up. So before you leave today, um, so I was thinking about this topic. I think this topic in particular was one of the biggest mind shifts for me uh, personally to kind of clear my unconscious image of white Jesus. So I think what's so hard about this topic is it's so unconsciously present that we're not even aware of it. Right, so we can talk about it, but honestly, when we're praying, what's the image of Jesus that's coming up? Right, when we're thinking about God, what's the image beyond this week? But this week, maybe just really consciously try to shift that image. Like, we don't know exactly what Jesus looked like historically, but we do know he was a first century Palestinian Jewish rabbi, so he was definitely not white. In fact, there probably weren't even any white people in the Bible, if we want to get really accurate. So, this week, as you're praying, as you're thinking about Jesus, just notice if that white Jesus comes up and intentionally try to shift it, because I promise if that becomes your new conscious image and understanding of how Jesus looks, things start to unravel really quickly in really beautiful, compelling ways. So I'm just gonna encourage you to attempt that this week, okay? So that's it. Uh, what do we always say? May the peace of God be with you. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs>